Welcome to episode 14 of the Inside Joe. We're going to start the year off right with a special guest, my brother, Marcus. We're going to be talking about the influential car accident he went through, growing up after immigration, and God, who's that? Let's get it. Okay, so today we have a very, very special guest. We have Marcus. Uh, he's my brother. So we're going to just kind of get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. I think I'll get to know you a little bit better too, I think. Yeah. So this will be kind of fun. If you could kind of introduce yourself as far as like kind of who you are today, you know, like what do you do for a living, yeah. your family, etc. Yeah. I mean, I, I let me, before I get there, I want to just say thank you. I've been since episode one. Uh, a devout fan, so I, I've appreciated the episodes and especially uh, getting to know the the whole the whole team. And uh, there was that one episode about family, I think. Yeah, going yeah. back, that was that was impactful. So I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, definitely excited to be here. And a um, little bit about myself: I am Joe's older brother, eight years older. I'm a father of three girls. Uh, they're uh, five, three, and six months. So we're going through that process of having. Uh, a, a new kind of like a baby again. So, um, yeah, just living in Chicago. Actually an immigrant, so 1.5 generation immigrant from Korea. So we came here uh, with, you know, uh, my folks and then our uh, older sisters. And then from there, uh, just, just been in Chicagoland for the most part. Okay, cool. And what do you do for a living? So my background's in uh, radiation physics. So uh, if someone unfortunately gets cancer, they get chemotherapy, uh, they'll have surgery, or radiation and so I'm on the radiation side of things so that's my background and then uh, currently though I'm in the same space but more on the business side of things okay I'm glad we have this on recording because <laughs> I asked you a thousand yeah. times I never know what you do for a living so maybe I could just like listen back so what are you though like what what's your <laughs> what am I? like what is your I still have no uh, idea what oh, you do right now I'm a director <laughs> so I'm on the business side of things but right now um, it, it's it's I'm a director of business um, so essentially uh, strategic accounts we yeah. call it it's business development so working with companies uh, like GE Siemens Philips uh, okay. those types of companies so we work together collaborate together and create solutions together very vague still maybe <laughs> if you sell drugs or do something legal <laughs> you could let me know yeah now immigration is something that I think a lot of people avoid talking about you went through it I didn't I was born in, yeah. in Chicago can you tell me a memory that you remember from that time? And you're very young. Uh, so, yeah, we immigrated from South Korea to Chicago. And so one of my first memories really was, I think for the first maybe like five years, all we did was just huddle amongst ourselves, meaning our family, any like extended family and potential like people that were Korean speaking. So my memories really was just around uh, just being in that tight apartment. Um and just just that was norm though that was that was our norm yeah you know and just not having too much not asking for too much because that was the norm how old were you i came well i was two and then so oh. this memory was probably when i was like five or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so i i know like you know so when you immigrated here our family without me yeah at this point this <laughs> I, is this is pre-joe pre-joe but yeah that was a very so like yeah. I guess definition of what you would imagine immigration to be, right? Like what we would yeah. in a movie, let's say. So like you guys came with like nothing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we came because uh, dad's 
older sister was in Chicago. So like, you know, I've asked that. I'd be like, why are we in Chicago, not in LA or somewhere warmer? He's like, because my sister moved to Chicago first. So that was, she said, she kind of pioneered it. And because she was there, that's where we were at. So, uh, I mean, prior to Chicago, they were in Hawaii. Her husband was doing residency uh, in Hawaii. So we could have been Hawaiian. That would have been cool. <laughs> that would have been so much cooler. That would have been different. <laughs> so you never know, right? But, yeah. uh, but that could have happened. That, so, was, that was it. Yeah. So what would you say, and you saw mom and dad basically kind of work really hard yeah. and also kind of take care of three yeah. kids. Yeah. So uh, the age gap, the age wise, we have two older sisters that are older than you. Yeah. Um, and they're about what, like two and three years older than you or yeah. four? Yeah. Something like that. And um, I'm new to the family apparently. <laughs> but but no, so you saw them go through yeah. a lot of stuff and that was the norm, what you said. Right. But what did that, how did that influence your life? I think at an early age, you kind of gain perspective of like what to ask for and what not to ask for. An example for me, um, and, and mom would bring this up, is I think, um, so, you know, our parents both had in Korea the respective like uh, careers where dad was an engineer, mom was in healthcare, but they both came here, they didn't speak a lick of English. So then uh, in their mind, what made sense was let's get a government job that's secure, that made sense. So they both, uh, dad first, you know, applied and worked at the post office. Yeah. And that was strategic. It made sense. Mom did the same. So, but mom worked the night shifts. And so I think one of the stories that she brings up when I was young, though, is like me asking, Mom, why do you have to work at night? And she says, well, you know, that's because we need to pay the bills and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. But as a child, you don't see your mom that often then, right? It's kind of the schedule is interesting. It's different. And so she, she, she told me that from that point, though, that I stopped asking, you know, questions mm-hmm. about why is our schedule different from everyone else's. And so I think from an early age, you know, I just kind of uh, understood, hey, you got to do what you got to do to get get yeah. going and get things you know moving as a family yeah, yeah. and again pre-joe you were the youngest so I was the youngest. Was, so you're the youngest and you're the only boy <clears throat> and mom mom even tells me till today she goes um <clears throat> she, she always feels bad when she thinks about you <laughs> she's always saying that mark never asked for a toy like he never asked for anything which makes me feel like you know crap most of the time because I, I feel i don't think i was spoiled i i, I could i could look back and and look at times in hindsight, where yeah. it was like, oh, I was spoiled there. I see it. But I always felt like I was given a bad rep. Yeah. Like I felt like compared to normal, what I quote unquote normal people, yeah. I wasn't too spoiled. Yeah. Um, but when I listen to the stories of everything that happened pre yeah. my my existence, I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. a lot harder. I mean, that's kind of funny you say that, though, because I don't feel like I was ever really in need. Mm-hmm. As I look back about immigration, uh, yeah, I didn't have everything. I remember one Christmas, there was this uh, tra- transformer, this white airplane. I think it was like 50 bucks or something. I wanted it so bad. <clears throat> and then uh, obviously we couldn't afford it. Yeah. Uh, and then like some Christmases later, they got it for me. And like I knew like our parents pulled, you know, you know, like hard and like just saved up. But it's like, I never felt like I was in need. How old were you at that point? I, I don't even remember. Everything's like, immigration is all like one giant yeah. like but span. You, you were still like what, like 10? Or, I was, yeah, I was probably young. So yeah. if you're like 10 yeah. or younger, let's say, and you yeah. had that perspective of knowing that, hey, Santa didn't buy me something, yeah. some fictitious thing. It was like, you knew what it meant. That yeah. your parents yeah. really 
did what they could to get that. Yeah, I think we appreciate you know what our parents sacrificed and yeah. then what what you could get from that. So that was impactful. Uh, but I don't again, I don't I don't look back and say I was I felt like I was in need or I was dealt a you know a short the short stick compared yeah. to someone else. Um, it was fun. I, I it's good memories and uh, I'm grateful and I think that's definitely impacted my perspective. Okay, and then I just want to quickly move forward a little yeah. bit to your teen years because it gets kind of interesting here. Yeah. Um, so in this picture, Joe's alive now, but <laughs> but still probably really quiet in the story because, yeah. you know, very young. Uh, but you grew up with our sisters, Sarah and Lisa. Yeah. And they're very strong women. <laughs> but one of them, um, when I was like seven, um, I had this giant ball, bouncy ball. <laughs> And I was so I, I was a child, so I loved that ball. And uh, there's kids in the back in the backyard. There's a big pit area where all the kids in the neighborhood would kind of hang out and like play sports and whatever. And I was the youngest, and they went with my big ball to share it with everyone. And one of those kids just stole the ball from me. Huh. And I was that was probably actually probably one of the times my one of the first times I felt defeated in my life because mm. I'm a child. Mm. And I came back and I didn't know what to do. And I went to uh, one of our sisters and I'm like, they took my ball. And I yeah. thought that was it. I'm like, mm. they took my ball. I lost the ball forever. So uh, she just runs out right away and she goes, who? And then she just ran out and she, she banged on every door until she found the ball. And she came back with the ball. There you go. And that's when oh. I knew like... I knew what was up. <laughs> That's when I realized, like, sometimes you got to take what's yours. <laughs> yeah. She has your back, though. No, yeah. 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 And th- that was a big prime example of, yeah. like, strength and also mm. family. Like, right. like, there's something that, like, you would do anything and right. you don't even, uh, you don't, you don't wait or hesitate. Yeah. So, but I, I say yeah. that because um, I was a little kid. So, yeah. you know, they were really nice to me. Mm. Um, I was kind of like their kid in a way. Hmm. Um, because of the age gap it was 10 and 12 years for me so but for you you're a much closer age yeah and you went to high school with with uh, one of our sisters yeah and so you kind of related with them more uh how did that influence who you are today so be that number i was number three or i am number three uh still in the korean culture asian culture um the first son and that's a lot of responsibility that just dealt to you just when you're just because you're the first son. So I, was, I wasn't I was the oldest, but... So I think somehow there was just like this innate pressure that I had to do, uh, perform at a certain level, be, you know, uphold myself at a certain standard. And so even though I was in high school, you know, with, uh, you know, my older sister, I think it was a mix of, you know, her friends and whatnot, but at the same time, it was a mix of like, hey, I'm still my own identity because I'm the first son. Yeah. You know, being with families, it's, it's like, okay, I got my sisters, she's there, but also this is, I don't know, it's just me, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't think it was too much of an impact. And another big influential time in your life, yeah, um, and mine too, yeah. and our whole family, was the car accident. Oh, geez, yeah. And, and, yeah. and um, that happened in... Yeah. What, 1994. 1994. October 1st, 94. Yeah. And we call it the car accident just because it was yeah. such a... It wasn't like your little dink in the car. Yeah. I was really young. Yeah. And... You're like, six, <laughs> you're like seven. You're seven. Yeah. I was like seven, let's yeah. say. Yeah. And um, basically what happened was um, I always wanted to hang out with my older siblings, my brother, my sisters, because they were cool. I'd never liked anyone in my age. I always wanted to hang out with them. And 
they were going to go study. Yeah, Barnes & Noble. At Barnes & Noble. (laughs) And I wanted to come with. And my parents were going to some kind of church apple picking event. Mm -hmm. And they made me go with them. And I was upset. And what happened was later that night, we get a phone call saying that um, my dad answers the phone. He looks really grim and says uh, they've been in a car accident. Mm. My mom's like freaking out. And my dad doesn't say anything else. (coughs) We go to the hospital. Mm. Um, Basically what had happened was uh, one of my sister, uh, the sister that was driving really got hurt and bruised up. Um, She was the one who was driving. And the other sister broke her wrist and chipped a tooth. And it was pretty bad. And this guy, his stomach blew up. <laughs> and so take it from there. Yeah. And I hand it off to you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, being a parent now of three girls, I can't imagine. I mean, they're young, so they're not driving. But I can't imagine getting a call saying your kids, uh, three out of the four, you know, in, a, in an accident. Yeah. Now, that gives me a different perspective, appreciation of the situation. But... Um, so, yeah, Joe, uh, so <laughs> backing up a few steps, yeah. uh, so you were not with us. <laughs> no. And that is, um, that's a blessing from God in my mind because I think you would not be here today if you were with us. Probably right through the window, yeah. Or, or worse, and, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so what was going on was um, back then I played a lot of basketball, sports, volleyball, just very active, was on the teams, and, and uh, ate a lot. And so we went to Olive Garden that night. <clears throat> so the sisters, Lisa, Sarah, and myself, and we're like, let's, take, let's get dinner. Uh, Sarah's back from pharmacy school, so we're like, let's just do this. And um, so we go there, and then we look at the menu. We're like, oh, crap, it's too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> we can't afford this, you know, the items. So then we snuck out because we didn't order anything, but we sat down. And then we went to, there was an old country buffet right there. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want, you yeah. know. So I, I ate like crazy style. Um, so I literally, I think had like six plates of spaghetti, food. right? Oh, no, no. Just like one or two of spaghetti. Oh, really? Okay. But of just other stuff. So I, I had my fill, but that's cool. That's what I did. I was yeah. in high school. And so we're, and from that point, then we're going to Barnes and Noble. We're driving about 45 miles per hour, um, this Lake Cook Road. And, uh, there's this lady basically at an intersection, a reasonably large intersection. She's she's taking a left turn while we're going straight Mm -hmm. and she went to beat us because she was running late for yoga and so we're in a small toyota she's in like a suv and all i remember was i was i had food comatose i was in the back right seat and i hear my sister scream i open up my eyes and i see flash of light and bam and then i don't remember anything for about a few seconds i then next thing is we stop i hear like all the screeching a big noise and then i feel this excruciating just movement and pain in my abdominal area and I'm like at that point I'm like I don't even know what happened because I can't think I can't I could I struggle breathing so you didn't pass out at any I didn't point. pass out I was I was alert I didn't know that I was so alert I didn't know and, that. and then so obviously we're in an accident now at this point Sarah's driving Lisa's there and everyone's kind of crying a little bit I'm just like clenching because I don't know what went wrong my mind's like oh I probably cracked a few ribs because this hurts like a mother that right. I never felt and uh, back then this is 1994 so cell phones are not as prevalent as they are today yeah right somehow uh, so we're, we're, we're like stopped there and then and they're asking me like are you okay are you okay and I'm like I can't talk I'm clenching I'm like I can't talk because you're in so much pain I'm in so much pain I don't know what's going on and then someone on site comes over with a cell phone 
and they're like, call 911. I think my brother's in real big, you know, trouble or something's wrong. Yeah. So someone on site called 911. Uh, they actually had, um, they had this thing called like the, uh, the jaws of life or death or whatever that yeah. rips up the doors. Yeah. So they had to rip the doors because they were totally just jammed, jammed and, yeah. and totaled. And they're like, take my brother first because they're trying to figure out who do we take. So they take me. And so they take me to a Highland Park hospital where at that point they're doing running tests and whatnot and I don't know what's going on with my family anymore. All I know is I'm awake. I know I'm not gonna die. I didn't feel like I was gonna die. I just knew it just hurt too much to think or anything. And, and while sitting there though in the ambulance, uh, you know, our, our dad, you know, always told us pray, pray, you know, always pray. And I'm like, okay, I gotta pray because I don't know yeah, what that's yeah. going on. And I couldn't think so all I just, in my mind was saying God, that's all I said in my head. And I was like, that's all I could functionally think about and do. At that point, uh, they take me to the like emergency room or something, and they're sticking tubes up me and everything, trying to figure out what went wrong. Uh, after about maybe 10 minutes or something, I don't know how much time passed, they couldn't understand what was wrong with me. I just felt this urge to just flip to my side, and I did, and then I just started throwing up. I didn't know what it was until later, but it was just blood. I, was just, I had internal bleeding at that moment. Mom and dad got to the hospital then, and uh, they're like, we gotta operate on him. He has internal bleeding. Yeah. And so just like the movies, now I'm in the bed. Mom's holding my hand. She's crying. Yeah. Hysterically, I see the panels of light flashing as I'm going. And then at that point, I'm sedated, and then I, I knock out. And yeah. so, so I'm, I don't, you know, I go through surgery, etc. I wake up um, later in that week. Apparently, I had a, I was in a comatose for three days. Um, and what happened injury-wise, you kind of alluded to my stomach exploding. I had a six-inch rupture, a three-inch rupture in my stomach. My duodenum had a rupture in it. My spleen had a tear in it. My kidney was punctured. My lungs were oh. bruised. Uh, I had a huge depletion on my hemoglobin count, which is my blood cells that allowed me to breathe, my body to breathe. Yeah. And so internal bleeding. So essentially, there's a lot of other details that I'll skip. But we got into a legal deposition, so we were interviewing the surgeon, and he kind of gave his side of the story, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. He basically said, hey, listen, I'm an atheist, so I don't, I don't believe in, in God or anything higher. But something happened that night because both trauma surgeons that were qualified to do the surgery were actually not around. Yeah. But there was, for some reason, bad scheduling were on PTO. This guy was a chief resident, and he decided to stay back for some reason. And he was pretty gung-ho and he's like, if you ask me now, this year's after, to do the same operation based on the same, you know, patient, he's like, no way, there's too much risk. But he went for it. Yeah. Because he was young. And uh, so, at, you know, outside of that, you know, basically I recovered, I healed. And, yeah. And uh, that was kind of the accident. Yeah. I actually remember, because um, mom and dad, when they came to the hospital, I was there. Yeah. And they had to leave me for obviously for, for obvious purposes to deal with the, the doctor and see what's going on. And I, I remember just being alone for a while. And the nurses were nice to me and gave yeah. me orange juice, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, I got all the footnotes and it was like, the doctor, when he came back when the surgery was successful, yeah. he, he tried to lighten the mood. He was like, yeah, he's fine. But uh, you know, he, he said it was a miracle too, yeah. but he also said, I've never seen so much spaghetti. <laughs> that's why I, I that's thought, right. that's that's why I thought you ate a lot of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was a good doctor. I remember him being like, I, I liking him even as a yeah. kid. Cause he was very like, he tried to lighten the mood. That's right. Yeah. The spaghetti piece, just let me just say this real quick. Yeah. It's funny though, because after uh, all that said and done, I go back to high school after like six, seven months. Because I had to rehab and yeah. I didn't go to school. I missed a lot of school. And so that was a hustle period too with school. But um, 
And then all the like, you know, the other jocks and whatever, they're like, hey man, I heard you. And the one guy said, like, I heard you died. I'm like, really, guy? Yeah. I'm right here. Well, I'm that's dead. high school for you. Yeah. And another guy said, I heard you have your stomach in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you could look at it. <laughs> and all this yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, funny things came out of that. Obviously, like you alluded to earlier, you have kids now. I have kids. Uh, they're, they're beautiful girls. They're all really adorable. <laughs> um, and you're married now, too. Kind of get older brother advice yeah. as far as um, kind of like if you could tell yourself some advice even yeah. about marriage and, and, and kind of looking into uh, you and Eugenie yeah. and, and yeah. your marriage. What would you say is kind of the, the meat and bones of marriage? Yeah, so seven years married to my beautiful bride Eugenie, and we have three girls, and so that's a different, uh, that's a different rhythm. So my advice uh, really is that in the seven years of marriage, um, and Eugenie would say this also, the first year, year and a half, was super challenging. Yeah, and without the commitment of marriage, you know, we probably would have like no one would want to go through that, right? Yeah, and so, uh, but. I think what we were learning is learning how to become one person and navigate life as one person now versus so, two different uh, there, people. There's, there's a yeah. lot of talk about that yeah. concept. Yeah. A lot of people see that one person thing as different now, especially millennials. I okay. Think. A lot of people say, and this is kind of true too, but it's a little different, is you got to be your own person. <laughs> yeah. So you still got to keep who you are. And, and, and not lose that. Absolutely. But how does that go together with also trying to be one? What does one person mean? I think one what one person means, though, is uh, inevitably we evolve. You know, there's a side of evolution I believe in. Uh, that means things evolve. Things change over time. And the person I was, let's say, when I was 30 or before 30 is not the person who I am now. My perspective, my tastes, experiences. And so being one person, I think what that means is, though, is... Finding a partner in life that you can uh, navigate together, mm-hmm. you know, these experiences, these, these uh, changes, and you evolve together. So it's not like, <clears throat> it's not like I'm, I'm becoming, I'm, I'm like abandoning my own preferences or my own likes or my own identity. No, but it's like, like an airplane has two wings. We're navigating with two wings now and going a path. Versus having one wing and just trying to figure that out and, you know, so it's like a turbulent So being like a well-oiled machine together with with who you are. So like whatever you bring to the table. So maybe it's more like a like an engine and the other one's like a wing possibly too because there's two different entities in a way. Yeah, I mean like practical exper- uh, example for me like just day to day like um, I'm a little bit more of hey, let's uh, think about the big picture stuff. You know, a lot of guys are like that. And then Eugenie is yeah. very specific to the details and and yeah. likes to be at home and stuff like that, right? Versus I need to be out and have adventures. Sure, sure. I think one of the things, raising kids, that's, that's a different layer, um, but having kids who almost are like, well, who are directly a byproduct of you two, but are like a mirror of you two, um, it's like, you know, are the girls going to be adventurous or optimistic or, you know, how do they view life or are they going to be, I'm not saying it's pessimistic to be detail-oriented, but, you know, seeing, seeing that fusion of the two, I think having children is a great, like, mirror of how we become one as parents. Sure. I want to kind of add in some personal questions within sure. some other topics I want to cover. Yeah. Um, this is going to be pretty much as deep as you can get as, as, far, as, being reflect, as far as being reflective. Um, what, what is your biggest regret looking back? And don't say I don't regret it because it's made me who I am. 
Don't cop out with that. Biggest regret in life? In life, so far. Oh, boy. Being your brother. (laughs) Oh, boy. To let you be born. (laughs) I think it was, uh, to be honest, is making excuses. Mm -hmm. Like, prime example, like, I look back and... I'm six foot three, about two, you know, <laughs> between two forties, you know, yeah. two fifties. And a big look, guy. I look at look at stats of like professional athletes or people that have done it, and then I start making. I, I go back and I let other people depict or determine what I do. So like the summers of playing sports, when I had a chance to go to U of I basketball camp, and Dad said, "No, you got to study because that's the only way you're gonna make it." Right. Sure. So and they would give me a free ride to the camp. Yeah. And I hold that against Dad. Yeah. Because I'm like, you didn't know what I could have been, right. what I could have done. I'm making excuses. I'm letting him determine what I can or cannot do in that way. So I think my biggest regret is just not manning up and just doing it. You know so what I mean? taking ownership. Taking and, ownership. And yeah. being hungry and then just doing it. And stop making excuses. Okay. And all of a sudden, yeah. the flip side, I want to I see the other side too. What is your biggest accomplishment or something you're most proud of? And you cannot say... <clears throat> Your, any, anything to do with your, your girls uh, or, or your wife. Nothing to do with your media family. So, so something you've done. Um, my most proud thing, and I think I would value that, is what's been most impactful then. Yeah, other than family. Existence. Other than family, yeah. It probably was in junior high when I made a decision that God was what my life was about. Yeah. And I say that not just to speak, you know, sound like all pious or religious, but my day-to-day life is looks different just because of that decision. Because of your faith. Because of my faith in God. Yeah. yeah. And that's the truth. You know, I'm most proud of that because I did nothing about that. It's just a decision I made. And what do you think about, I mean, again, this is another big topic, but we know we're going to touch upon God. What do you think... Because of your faith and, and believing in God, how has that impacted your life the most? Oh, boy. Um, in a practical sense. Life, life is not easy, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is not that it's, it's a morbid existence. I think it's a beautiful existence, but it's not easy. There's challenges. There's things you got to navigate. Times you want to call quits. Times where you're just confused. Should I go left or right? All these types of questions that come up. But I think... The impact to me is just that point where I know that there's something absolute, which is my God in my life, where a lot of things are just relative, right? Mm-hmm. And that I can, you know, talk to my God about these things. Yeah. I have a peace of mind and heart, a holistic peace about things. So I think that impacts everything I do yeah. um, and I want to do, whether it be I feel like it's the right path I've taken or decision according to my plans or not. You know, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm aligned in that way, so. And I do feel like when people talk about religion or God, it gets very judgmental or very touchy. Yeah. And I'm so sick of that kind of conversation. Like, I just like the open-minded dialogue. I feel like it's one of the most interesting things anyone could talk about. Mm. But we always kind of avoid it because it's so touchy. Yeah. Um, But today I want to just kind of briefly talk about what does God look like to you? Like, who... Who is this person? Or, I mean, obviously he's not a person. Who is this God? What does this God seem to you? And I'm not talking about um, whatever religion, yeah. in a religion sense, yeah. but more as a God. Yeah, I think I grew up, and I could answer this kind of like the change. I grew up thinking that it was about do's and don'ts, like what's good and what's bad. Moral. Morals yeah. and actions, like example, like, 
I grew up saying we couldn't spend a penny on a Sunday because it's making somebody work on the Sabbath. Yeah. Kind of idea, right? Sure. Versus when I really wanted to have a hamburger at McDonald's on a Sunday because I was hungry. Yeah. Right? Um, Food's always a big thing in our family. (laughs) Big boys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To now, I think it's a mixture of uh, genuinely being able to just have access at any time, at any point in my in a relationship with my creator. So it's more of an intimate uh, relationship. It's intimate and it's gone through a long period of something like that where it's intimate. And then now I think I'm starting to kind of integrate a side of where there has to be some kind of uh, aspect where of reverence too. Yeah. Meaning like, okay, you are God, I am not. And so there's a separation so there's also not just an intimate, you know, a relationship, but there's also a reference saying, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is uh, just because I'm not, you know, perfect, but there's this mystery. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I believe that there's a God. Yeah. I do. And I think even as a millennial, I think that's controversial. Okay. Almost. Yeah. Because uh, I think there's a lot of people that don't. And that's not something that. Because, I mean, even that, that sentence right there sounds judgy either way. You know, I just feel like we're in such a judgmental time in our life. Yeah. That, especially with, with obviously, this is always the same sentence that comes after, but it's true, especially after social media and all technology, it's easier to be exposed to things to judge. Sure. So I feel like, and there's a lot of outlets now to judge people, Twitter, Facebook, etc. I'm just, I, I think just, I, I just want to say just, publicly that I'm just so sick and tired of yeah. all of the hate going everywhere. Yeah. So people that think that their God <clears throat> is right or, or someone else's God is wrong, no matter what religion you are, for the most part, like your religion's not telling you to hate one another like this. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So like it just the hypocrisy is disgusting to yeah. me. And you could feel it, I think. Yeah. So no matter what you believe in, I feel like I think it's okay to have a dialogue and not to be so judgmental and be able to have the freedom to talk about your religion without feeling like someone will hate you more for right. it. I just feel like that's not the way. I mean, we grew up Christian. Right. And I look at the older generation a lot of times and I, I, I see a lot of hypocrisy. Not saying that I'm not a hypocrite at times because I am. We all are. I hear you. Yeah. But I, I just, it's people always say, why, um, why is the millennials and this generation losing faith? And why are we so, such a non-religious generation and i think it's because we're we're so jaded from seeing the previous generations before us yeah i mean i I agree i think i think maybe the previous generation at least speaking for uh, you know that topic of immigration yeah we had for us being korean americans immigrating it was just a confusing time because you're you're now navigating and balancing culture language every aspect then oh there's this religion thing and so let's figure that out in a sense and 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 you're not judging people's you know uh, hearts or anything or intentions but i kind of look at religion in this way um my former boss at work is like an avid crossfit person oh that's the lifestyle yeah yeah he wakes up at 4 30 every like every other day of the week to go to his crossfit gym and there's a group of maybe 10 people there and, and I remember just like asking about CrossFit once and then he just went off. Like he got super excited and he asked me, he's like, Marcus, how do you do a bench press? 
and he and, you know, do the motion. He's like, BS, you never do that in life. You know, you, you CrossFit's about a way of life. Oh, like practicality. Yeah, it's practical. It's life. And, and, and so from his life schedule to the way he talks to about like every aspect of his life, CrossFit has changed him. And, and he is so excited. He, he, he could go off. So that's his religion. That's um, his religion yeah. that way. And I just feel like when you experience something that you're generally impacted by that yeah. overflows from your heart, yeah. that is what is the excitement. I would talk to somebody because that's who God is to me. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And it's not like this is why you should. Yeah. But it's because, hey, listen, I've been like crazy blessed or this has changed my life and I want the same for you because I love yeah. you. You know, that's that's kind of my angle and my perspective. And with that analogy, it's not like your former boss is saying, oh, you don't do CrossFit? You're dumb. Right, right. <laughs> or you're so wrong with your life, your life sucks. You right, know? Right. And, and your way of life is awful. It's not like that. It's, and that's what I, that's, that's my point. My point's not saying uh, another millennial thing, which I am, is is very much so like, hey, don't judge everyone, everything's so PC and everything, which right. I'm sick of in my generation. But there's got to be a good medium where we respect each other, genuinely respect, and not, not scoff at each other. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think that's why people don't talk about religion, especially now too much, because it's it's just so dirty. We should just talk about what excites us and what changes us and what, you know, uh, pumps us up for the morning to, to, to the end of day. What know? drives you? Yeah. I agree. And, I like and that. inevitably, if that's God, I mean, there has to be. Yeah. yeah. There has to be that, right? Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. What about you, Andre? Because this is something I actually am very interested in, your, like, where you're coming from. To your point, relationship, because I remember there were some times where I was going through some stuff mm. and you reach out and you know you feel that connection that relationship there to kind of help you through it or guide you um but these days i kind of feel like god to me is like it, it's almost like in everything and like a life energy that even is animating us right now kind of a thing what um, do you need to go in too deep into it but <laughs> what do you mean by animating because when i hear animating well, like i think about cartoons and obviously that's because <laughs> i'm immature but like what can you just so everyone understands even, even like life itself okay right because hmm. god if god is a creator like just us being alive right now and that's why i also believe that we find connection in each other and we all feel connected in some way so i feel like that driving force um connects everybody but um but i also hear some a question that i want to ask you guys though because you always yeah, hear yeah. people say well i'm not very religious i'm spiritual hmm. and trying to make that difference so i was wondering what you guys like yeah if you think there's a difference or what you would describe for, for those. I'll go real quick first. And I want to see what Marcus, Marcus has to say about it. Um, I, 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 that used to piss me off, to be honest. When I, when I was younger, especially in college, anytime I heard spiritual, I, I automatically thought cop-out answer. Like you're just like, honestly, what people used to say spiritual is probably where I'm at right now. Do you know what I mean? If we're being real and we put it what they really meant. Uh, but when I triggered, when I heard spiritual, I thought hippie. I thought like, oh, I'm a hippie, and I just feel, I just feel the earth, and I just like to run around in the trees, and I feel God through trees and nature. But you know, after being older and, uh, and kind of understanding that, you know, where I'm at too, I get that more so now without being as judgmental, because in my ears, I couldn't hear anything but crap when they would say that. 
all I would hear is like excuses and and picking where what part of religion you want to be a part of and what's convenient to you. You know, mm-hmm. and that's something I think I struggle with today too. You know, because there's some things. Uh, you know, I grew up Christian, and there's some things in the Bible or that I don't agree with. And then there's also um, people that uh, you know say claim to be Christian that I don't agree with mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I get along and, and have a better, have a closer moral uh, connection with people that don't claim to be Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, and, and a connection, to be honest. Uh, which has made me at this point really kind of open myself up, which is, I think is a good thing, to really kind of be open to what God has in store for me, more so yeah. than before, where I felt like I was more tightly knit in a way that wasn't very honest. Hmm. Um, but no, I think God, to me, God's very important. I, 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 will, I think that'll always be a part of me. Now, finding myself in that within the relationship with myself and God, I think, is a work in progress for sure. Um, and I, I know I'm not going to limit that or to <laughs> constrict it into what I think it should be mm-hmm. or how special people in, in church would want me to say right now. Yeah. Because I think it's very easy. I know the right answer. But I want to be open to what really will happen and let that be in a sense. So <laughs> long answer. Uh, but, but, um, in short, basically I think being spiritual is a way of answering something that is very difficult to answer because it's hard to, uh, have that conversation and and go into this great detail I just went to, uh, with just anyone that's asking you, right? It's just easier just to say spiritual. So I, that's where I'm at now and I kind of get it now. What Mm -hmm. about you, Mark? What do you think about spiritual versus religious? Um, I mean first thought for religious is like kind of something that's an institution or man-made in a sense that's my mind like man rules regulations that there probably is a good amount of human um influence you know yeah like back in the day with all these laws and just i don't know that's to me religion it's an institutionalized kind of thing spiritual i mean from my perspective spiritual i would almost say change the word to like having a soul like for me it's like recognizing okay I see you guys right here. I see the material in front of me. But hey, there's also something deep inside that's a soul that's in a different realm, if I could call that. Is that kind of similar to what you were talking about? Yeah. Are you alluding to yeah. with the animation? Well, real quick, and I won't take too long, but my whole thing was I, I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church that kind of really pushed me away. People saying one thing but doing the exact yeah. opposite. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I remember also really fondly this conversation that I had um, – with somebody who um, was Muslim, and they were trying to say how the Quran and, and mm. we got into a, an argument back and forth, and I was trying to be very open-minded, but he was so hell bent on like mm. proving his point that, and it was over the stupidest detail that Jesus was not um, Jesus was was not the Son of God, that he he was just some guy, and Muhammad was the prophet. It was something stupid like that. And that kind of flipped in my head, and I was like, why do we get caught up on these details? Why can't we see what's common? Because if you actually look at the Bible and the Quran next to each other, they're basically saying the same thing, at least morally, and they're pretty similar. So I'm like, why can't we agree and say, okay, those are just stupid details, and I don't want to get caught up on that. And I find that sometimes trying to define something or naming something, it it takes away this other um, unearthly element. 
by yeah. trying to define something or yeah. trying to put details and put it in a box, so to speak. So I try, I, I've been trying to let go of that and that's where I've been. But again, my relationship with God <laughs> needs a little work also on that. No, but that's, that's cool because that's where you're at right now yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, see, I mean, I'm totally respect that conversation. That, yeah. That's what I wish like most people yeah. could do is like just say really where you're at in your journey yeah. and whatever yeah. that is. I mean, I, I, it could be whatever. But you're being honest with where you're at at this point. And there's yeah. no, like, it's very rare, I think, that you're going to find people that are in the same actual spot. You could go to a church and it might look like they're all in the same place. Yeah. But every, each one of those people are in a different place. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the difference, though, like, when we're talking about relationships. And it's like, I think when people look for a significant other, it's like, we make a list of things that we would like. Yeah. Versus yeah. things that you would love, you know? Yeah. And, and I think I differentiate the two because it's like like are a lot of just traits and stuff like that where love it's um, it's almost not not always unconditional but it's like there's a depth to it and a commitment to it and I feel like when I think about God it's not ever going to be a point where I am at a point where it's like I'm going to be good enough you know yeah. I'm worse than I even think I am the truth be it you know yeah. that's the truth I think the more I probably scrutinize myself I'm probably worse yeah. Uh, but it's a matter of, hey, I'm loved. And so that's cool. Like, it doesn't have to happen until I reach a certain point. Yeah. You know? And so I think that's how I kind of view it. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because, like, talking about transitioning to, to love, and we don't, we're not, you know, for those that are listening, we're not going to go too much longer. But um, just talking about love in general, I think that's an interesting point that you brought up. I think the older I get and the more experiences I go through, uh, either through relationships and any to, of any kind, I think I'm, you get a little bit more of a hint of what love is, I think. I think when I was really young, love was something that was very superficial and very romanticized. Um, and then the older you get, the more precious this love becomes mm-hmm. because you, you see how hard it is and yeah. how, it's, how not easily attainable it is. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was younger, I took love for granted you take a love that you have from your fr- friends or family and you like, that's just there. And the older you get, you realize how hard it is to find or come by. And I think it's because you, I started to understand, I'm understanding a little bit more about what it means. It's like, I could hate you today, but I know you're always going to be there and I'm always going to be there for you too. So there'll be days where like, you know, but it's not going to just leave or it's not going to be gone. It's something that's an ongoing thing that I never feel insecure about. I think that's for me that's what I'm realizing love is more like and to a God or family or whatever it's like it's something that you know me and God might not feel so tight right now but I know that's something I'm never giving up on like that's something that's ongoing relationship so that it's a very different definition than what I used to think it was Hmm. I do want to talk about some of the uh, (coughs) new projects very exciting projects that you have? Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so if you want to relate, again, all the science stuff, I don't really have the verbiage. So if you can explain. Sure. Good news is I we found out we got funded today. Well, can you explain okay. what that funding is? Um, so, yeah. But, so wait, today, though? Yeah, yeah, we found out today. I didn't know that. So, I just kind of bypassed I, the lead. I just, I just found today, too. Um, so a little history, just uh, if I could give a little background on yeah. um, like almost a glossary of the term. So the space is an AMR, which is antimicrobial resistance. Yeah. That's... Um, <laughs> we can shorten the science a little bit, <laughs> just because okay. you're going to lose a lot of so, people. So basically, 
basically, let me just throw out just kind of like quick, quick facts. Yeah. Okay. So we've all gotten antibiotics at one time or another, right? Like you yeah. get sick, you get a, a prescription. Helps you get better. Exactly. So in 2016, the year of 2016, there were 150 million prescriptions of antibiotics given. 50 million of them were kind of useless, meaning that they were prescribed and they weren't the right drug. So what happens is you have these things called pathogens and they're, they're micro, like little bugs type things. And they are very aggressive about evolving and, and reproducing really quick. So example, some microbes can actually, pathogens can uh, double in population in 20 minutes. So these drugs that we're giving are to combat these diseases. But if we're just missing and giving the wrong drugs, what happens? They just evolve and they take over bodies and yeah. create do more more diseases. damage than good. So possibly. so on a, just just on a just a term create these super bugs. So yeah. talking about like end of the world kind of stuff. These super bugs are there and there's no drug, there's no weapon to fight them because they keep on evolving, right? Keep on evolving, yeah. And that's our fault because we misprescribe things and yeah. give wrong drugs. And so so it's like we're giving the drugs. 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 I mean, the, the bugs drugs. Slaying to get stronger. Yeah. And it's, it's, like, it's like being in a war and you're shooting something that won't affect it. Right? Yeah. It's like the bullets are like inert or something. They just know? evolve. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, we are essentially at war with these pathogens. So in the year 2050, it's predicted that 10 million people a year will die. 10 million people. And so right now, to give you perspective, um, you know, that number from 750,000 will go to 10 million. Globally. Yeah. So what? So the space that we're in is uh, just in the beginning of this problem. Is if if we're prescribing all these like drugs inaccurately, well, let's change that. Let's make sure that we do it effectively, causing you know giving uh, detecting the correct pathogen and then giving the right drugs. So it's essentially if you think about like um, have you ever seen a, like a pregnancy stick? So you so so lady yeah. would so the stick you pee on yeah you pee on it and then it tells you gives you a line saying you're pregnant or not because. It, takes the protein from you get that. like a pink line or two pink lines yep, exactly so essentially it's a stick that does that for you but it'll tell you from eventually the goal is you'll know if you have a virus you know from zika or something or um an infection urinary tract infection malaria malaria stds you could yeah. pee on a stick and let you know why'd you point at me when you said stds <laughs> <I didn't>. <laughs> <laughs> he's like stds no <laughs> no but, but but the real goal is to have i'm clean is to take the to take the dna and rna from your your body yeah and, and it's, it's a really cheap way and quick way of understanding what's that so so empowering everyday people to know what's what's inside them really so yeah. just to dumb it down for those that can't catch up with the science and all yeah Basically, what it sounds like is um, basically these bugs are getting stronger and it could be, it's getting more and more critical to our, our livelihood. People are going to get more sick. And it's going to be harder to, to cure. But what your project is and what you guys just got funded for today is something that could kind of instantly tell you exactly what's wrong with you so that we're, we're stopping giving steroids or power to the bugs, but instead just cure exactly what needs to be cured instead of adding other things. Yeah. And you're going to make it kind of easy for people to just get, right? It's not like, do you have to go to the hospital or how does that work? So our part is just letting them know. It's just the knowledge base. It's the detection okay. of it. From there, do with what you want. Your so, doctor will do the right thing. So You'll do the right thing. be something you walk into Walgreens yep. and get it. You, well, you pee on it, right? Yeah, you or can pee. Well, so there's different ways. Pee, okay. blood, different things that will work okay. uh, for different kind of pathogens. But in essence, as easy as a pregnancy test. That's the goal. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so you don't need you don't need a science background. You don't need a medical degree. You and just look at it. And what is this? What is this? I, we call it the project. This is another science thing that I don't know too much about. Uh, what is this called? Or like, what? Where are you in this project? What's going uh, on? So, so right now it's still early. We've had years. We have a collaboration with the government, uh, the NIH, uh, National Institute of Health. So we've been collecting data on C diff, which is a pathogen in, in in dirty water to impact stool, and, and it kills about 100. 1.4 million kids a year. So we have data on that. So right now what we're doing is, you know, creating, we have the engineering of that actual device and we it's still early in the phase. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amazing. That is so potentially, the potential of this is great. The potential hopefully will be very impactful globally. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the goal that we want to make it available for all. So it's not just for the rich. Yeah. If anyone, again, in any background could take it. Uh, know immediately what's wrong with them and then take action from there. And, yeah. and I like that it's very positive. It's a positive thing that's going to like, it's not something that's just going to benefit for someone to make a lot of money. It's more so, well, it probably will. Yeah. But, uh, but it also it helps a lot of people, especially third world countries, I would say, right? You know, that 2050 year I was telling you about, 80% will be in developing worlds, but thankfully yeah. 20% will be in developed worlds. So I think the numbers are like 375,000 will be in the United States alone. Man. Deaths per yeah. year. And that's in our lifetime when you have kids, our kids. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's, it's really imminent. And th that is huge. Anyone that's watched any like house or anything like that, when you watch those like doctor shows, a lot of it is like, hey, you, you're like, you're basically a lot of times like you have no idea what the disease is. So like, let's just give him a ton of different things yeah. and whatever kills him, yeah. we'll know that's what he needs. And yeah. then they'll like try to revive them. They're but, like, just, just pee on this piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's cool because usually we ask, you know, guests if they want to plug anything and this is a heck of a plug. <laughs> well, I, well, it'll be plugged hopefully in the next five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But the yeah, funding absolutely. thing, what's the significance of the funding? The funding um, helps us to kind of basically be independent in our laboratory space. So we'll be moving the company to uh, Madison. And uh, so my family will be moving to Madison also. Um, but to do, you know, I have my day job. This is this is a side job. Yeah. Um, but the funding will be to help us to uh, get to where we want to get, to yeah. validate the information, and then get to commercialization. It's very, very sciencey. It's weird that like that's not in my blood. Like I feel like no, I'm I'm serious. Like none of this science stuff has like gotten to me. <laughs> like I wish I had some. Not yeah. like it has nothing. It bounces right out of my head. Like all the science jargon. Yeah. It just like literally detours it. I mean, we're in a knowledge based time, right? So you yeah. should know if you're sick. You should know. Do I have a flu or a cold? Yeah. Well, now I'm gonna pee on this thing. I'll tell me. Like if <laughs> if Andre had, we don't know if he has dysentery or like some kind of staph infection, but we could tell. <laughs> They're gonna come out with an app soon. That's true. That's the yeah, next level. Be on your phone. <laughs> be on your phone. <laughs> tell you it's not covered by your insurance. Company yeah. just call it pee on it. Pee on it. <laughs> Peed. All right, we'll end it right there. And uh, thank you for coming to to the show. It's it was a lot of fun. Um, unless you have anything else to say. No, I mean I I can't wait to hear. I'm I'm always like looking at my. Uh, my phone to see what what's the next pod for your uh, how show. do you listen to the podcast on uh, my podcast from apple your yeah. itunes itunes app. yeah yeah, yeah. You, and if you don't have that you know you could always listen to it on soundcloud or uh, stitcher or google play because we're on all all those anywhere you can find a podcast you can find us the yeah. inside joe so so it is it is one of my favorites you must must listen to so thanks Special thanks to Marcus for coming on the show. To listen more to our podcast, follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. 
And don't forget to check out our website at theinsidejoe.squarespace.com. Google Play. Come back. <laughs>